and welcome back to another episode of the Brockless Podcast. After a pretty downbeat episode last week, it's fair to say that theme's probably going to continue this week, Nathan. I don't know why I've got a smile on my face, because there's not really much to smile about after today's results and after, you know, what looked to be a, a fairly promising start of the Easter period. It seems to have all gone wrong, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's very much a case of if you don't laugh, you'll cry at this moment in time. Um, after a downbeat podcast last week, and probably the first downbeat podcast last week for a long while, where we've just followed them up with an, another downbeat podcast incoming, I think. Um, what could go wrong this week has gone wrong. Uh, the Borough give you a little bit of hope with a result against Bournemouth. And then we play today, Easter Monday, and a defeat, as well as managerial troubles, is just set Middlesbrough Twitter on fire, pretty much. So, yeah, a lot to dissect. Yeah, plenty to dissect. Um, of course, we will get into the the managerial situation or rumours or whatever you want to call it later on. But of course, we'll talk about the games first. I, I just, it's difficult to talk going back to Bournemouth now because so much has happened just, of course, during the space of Easter Monday that we're recording on tonight. Of course, we've had the game today. We've had whatever else going on. But looking back at Bournemouth, it, it feels like much longer ago. Of course, the big story before that was the goalkeeper situation. And, you know, going into the game now, Chris Wilder opted to make that change. Joe Lumley come out of the team, was replaced by Luke Daniels, which we probably both agreed on. Um, but apart from that, I mean, I think that's the biggest call in terms of team news. But were you happy with the, the team looking at it ahead of the Bournemouth game? Yeah, I was. Um, Isaiah Jones back in the side, which was much needed after... He was missing against Fulham and Hull. Um, obviously, the change to the goalkeeping uh, situation with Daniel starting instead of Joe Lumley, it was it was needed. We needed change in that department, definitely. Um, and we'll get on to Luke Daniel's performance on Friday afternoon. Um, and of course, Sol Bamba had to to step in as well for for Dale Fry, who's who's been out injured. So, yeah. Uh, the strongest team that we could possibly field at the time. Again, um, it can be argued, I suppose, we, we say every week about the forwards, it, it changes. He opted for for Connolly and Watmore on Friday. And there was not much promise going into the game from Borough fans um, off the back of two defeats. Bournemouth in second place, looking to extend their, their lead over Nottingham Forest. Um, in the automatic promotion race and of course our record down on the south coast is horrific to say the least isn't it um, so going into the game I don't think anyone was expecting any sort of result so in the end we were pleasantly surprised I think yeah I think we were and to be honest you know usually me and Nathan we try and do our best in terms of preparation and you know having a, a certain set of reminders of the chances and moments in the game when actually you know on reflection there's not an awful lot to talk about from that Bournemouth game and um, in terms 
of Borough and Bournemouth. Genuinely, it was a it was a result that, to be honest, I think we both were quite happy with. Um, but in terms of the real talking points in the game, apart from from a Middlesbrough perspective, those two handball incidents in the first half, there wasn't actually an awful lot at all, to be honest. No, there wasn't at all, really. Um, Middlesbrough didn't create any any real chances at all. Um, Watmore had an effort in the first half that was saved by saved by Travers. Um, but the real standout in that first half is the the penalty incidents for handball, um, both of which in the space of 30 seconds, both of which can be given, should be given. And if if one of them wasn't given, certainly um, for a tackle on Anthony Dykes deal, um, I think it was Lewis Cook came flying out to try and block a shot from Dykes deal, which just took him out. Probably should have been a penalty. Um hard done by again but you've just got to take it on the chin with these uh, decisions unfortunately um, EFL officials every single week they can always drop a clanger and most likely will uh, and they did once again yeah they did didn't they you know as you say uh, I seem to remember God looking back a few years now going really back into the horrible times as a as a recent Middlesbrough fan of course there's been much worse but I remember Jonathan Woodgate saying after an early early on in his tenure we played Brentford and you probably remember it Nathan two goals mistakenly given for offside and I can remember the quote exactly how he said it and in the manner he said it I think it was our game's less important, obviously in reference to the fact that the Premier League have VAR and, and the Championship don't. But it does raise the question, you know, with, with those types of incidents, surely, you know, in a league where clubs are, are paying, you know, £10, £15 million pound for strikers, it's not the Championship of a decade ago where, you know, of course it's, it's never been the dog and duck league, but, it, you know, the quality of the championship is significantly improved over the years. You know, the transfer fees, the wages, the quality in the league has improved year on year, really. And it does seem almost ridiculous that we don't have some form of, you know, um, assistant refereeing sort of system that can look into those um, pictures and, and images and incidents more thoroughly because, you know, the first one, I think it's Adam Smith, actually. I know I, uh, you said Lewis. Cooper. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, it was Smith, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Cross to the back post, isn't it? And Jones connects with it straight away onto the volley. And to be honest, as much as, you know, we, we probably should know doing a, a football podcast, it's a Middlesbrough podcast, but it's a football podcast, I couldn't tell you because there's no clarity at all what the actual handball rule is these days. No, it's, it's strange. It does hit him on the arm. It does. It? it does. It does. It's it's blatant. Um, and hours before there was an incident in the Luton-Nottingham Forest game, which was pretty much identical um, to that particular incident. And... It just goes to show one was given, one wasn't given. The the incompetence of referees at this level is 
is almost unfathomable. But the the official uh, the linesman on that side as well that is pretty much in line with the incident as it happens about five minutes previous had a decision that he'd made for a throw-in overruled by the referee when he was about three yards away so they're just unbelievable the officials in this division it, you sort of get sick of speaking about it every single week because nothing changes nothing changes no matter how much anyone goes on about it in terms of the referees incompetence a championship standard it, it, nothing gets done about it it's it's incredibly poor really um if you look at across the season how many on av- how many decisions on average a side gets sort of scammed out of it's it's it, it It'll be double digits, one hundred percent. Yeah, and that's that's for every club up and down the league. I think you know most fans would agree. But I think we've spoken about it a few times. The standards just not where it should be, really, for a a league of um, of what the championship standard is. But I think that the full EFL would probably agree that the standards not up to scratch. Obviously, from that uh, handball incident, you know, um, Dyke. Uh, not Dice Steel, sorry, Adam Smith then slides in on Jones. I think from the initial deflection, what I was meant to say there was there's a reason I had Dyke Steel in my head. The ball ricochets to Dyke Steel on the edge of the box and he goes to strike it. And Adam Smith just completely follows through on him, doesn't he? Just yeah. inside the area. Anywhere else on the pitch, it's a foul. Referee doesn't even batter an eyelid to be honest I, I think probably the claim wasn't all that there was a brief sort of half-hearted one from Dyke Steel but I think we probably realised that the referee was looking the complete opposite way to be honest with you um, and and then the you know I'll ask you about this separately but potentially the bigger call of the two out of the handballs in that first half I think initially it's a shot and it ricochets high into the air and Nat Phillips tries to bring it down on his chest. And as he's attempting to bring it down, the ball, T-shirt rule, whatever you want to call it, looks to just hit him below the end of his shirt on his arm. Again, I think with VAR, it probably gets given. I mean, what did you think of the two incidents? Did you think there was a, a more sort of likely one than the other? Or did you think potentially both were penalties? I think Nat Phillips' one is more blatant because Smith, is, yeah, he's got his arm out, um, but he can't really pull it away. But Nat Phillips is just blatant. He's got his arm there and the ball doesn't move unless it's hit his arm, really. Um, doesn't doesn't move in the, in the way that Nat Phillips is going down that line. Um I think because he's under no pressure when the ball yeah. moves as well, it almost makes it more obvious. Yeah. And, and that's again, the one you'd think should be spotted. But of course, as as we've come to expect, really, it wasn't spotted, was it? Yeah. And as I say, that line's been on that same side again. I, I'm, unfortunately, I don't know his name, but I, I think it is report that he got through the, um, through the post on, on Saturday morning. He'll be a 
probably drop down to League One, League Two for for the Easter Monday games, really, because you can't you can't get away with that. It, it was all in the space of a forty five minute period as well. Mister throwing and missed two blatant blatant penalties for handball. So yeah, incredibly poor officiating. Um, but yeah, um, apart from those incidents, nothing really else. Happened in the first half. No Middlesbrough chances of note. No Bournemouth chances of note. Um, going into the second half, two big chances for Bournemouth. Jefferson Lerma hitting the bar. And the other one was Jamal Lowe. I thought that was probably the best chance of the game, actually. Lowe's chance. Uh, cross comes in from Bournemouth's left-hand side. And Lowe pretty much has a free header about eight yards out. And... Look, lucky for us, it's uh, over and wide. But again, two two big chances uh, for Bournemouth, but little little in terms of creativity for Middlesbrough at the other end. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, it almost. I said in the last podcast, the first half against Fulham. I thought we actually played really well against Fulham in the second half, but in the first half against Fulham, it almost felt like we were a little bit scared of, of attacking them and really sort of, you know, trying to get in behind their back line. And to be honest, the Bournemouth game felt as though it was two teams both playing that way. Um, you know, I, I think because of the position that Bournemouth are in, of course, you know, just before our game, you, you briefly mentioned Nottingham Forest had just been beaten. I think obviously if Forest had won, it would have put a lot more pressure on, of course, our results. Um you know, following that game. But really, Bournemouth are in a position now where they can probably win sort of two games out the remaining fixtures and they'll probably get the job done just because of the points that they have um, ahead of, of the likes of, I mean, Huddersfield, I think, are sitting third now. and Nottingham Forest have, of course, got a few games in hand, um, but even still, they can't catch up with Bournemouth. So I, I think probably they were a little bit... Um, you know, not really wanting to commit too much, of course, with the danger of us potentially going up and counter-attacking and, and doing them where, you know, you could argue we probably needed the three points more. Of course, it turned out okay in the end in, in terms of a a result, a point on the board. And I think given the fixtures of Easter, you know, Bournemouth away, historically we've spoken about it, it's been a horrendous, horrendous ground for us. So to come away unbeaten without conceding, I was quite, and I mean, how wrong was I, optimistic actually after that game. You know, there wasn't any real um, chances for us to win the game. There was a few good performances in defence. I think Sol Bamba stood out and of course got man of the match. Um, Rock solid deputising for Dale Fry. But apart from that, you know, on reflection, quite happy to walk away from Bournemouth with a point, thinking, well, Easter Monday sets us up perfectly and it's all to play for. Um, yeah. Really, what else can be said? No, um, I feel the same as you, really. Um, going into Friday, it's it's a difficult place to go. Um, as you say, historically horrific. We said in the last podcast, we usually concede a minimum of three, so it was it was very pleasing to keep a clean sheet. Um, 
especially with no Dale Fry in the side as well. Bamba did well to, to step into the side. His first start since Mansfield at the start of January. Um, so very impressive for him to come into the side and play as well as he did. Um, Daniels, I felt like, although he wasn't tested too much, he was comfortable, um, protected well by his defence in terms of passing out from the back and things like that. I noticed that we weren't really looking to pass short um, into, the, into the back three's feet. We, we were just quite quite happy to go along um, in, in this game, sort of settle Daniels back into to the number one position. Um, and of course, another big talking point um, was Matt Crook's stupid yellow card, um, just sticking his leg out as, as um, someone ran, ran past him in midfield. And that means he's he's banned for three games now after 15 bookings in a season, which, as Chris Wilder says, not great. 15 bookings in a season's not acceptable, really, is it? Um, but, yeah, that meant that at least one change was needed going into this game on Easter Monday against Huddersfield at home. Huddersfield on Good Friday had drew 2-2 with QPR. Um Probably deserved to get beat in that game, if I'm honest. Um, but it felt like a massive game for us. It felt like a game that we needed to take all three points in. Um, 12.30 kickoff on Sky Sports. If we win, it puts pressure on all the teams around us at three o'clock and at five 5.30. And, yeah, uh, I think a lot of fans... Felt a bit optimistic after Friday um, going into this game. And, yeah, it, it certainly backfired. Yeah, of, of course it did. It, it really, <laughs> really did. Um, you know, I'll ask you about the team first. Of course, we're recording this. It's pretty unprecedented for us, actually, because usually we have a at least a day to sort of dissect what's happened. But we're recording on the day just after we've been beaten. So, you know, we might be a little bit emotional, so you'll have to excuse us for that. Um, but talking of the, of the team first, um, of course, Daniels, as expected, retained his place. Bamba um, continued in the team. Dale Fry wasn't back in. Um, and then the changes, of course, through suspension, Crooks misses out, replaced by Riley McGree. I think that was probably expected as well. And then, actually, one change up top, Andras Sparar comes into the team. Uh, Duncan Watmore retains his place. Just one ob observation. Uh, I was speaking to my dad about it the other day when the team come out. It does seem strange that, you know, since January, and I don't have the stats, um, but I'm almost sure it's the case. I think the pair that's played the most would have to be Balligan and Connolly. Where, you know, you expect them to get some form of consistency. You could argue when we got to the Peterborough game, you know, they both had good performances. They were, they were both starting to build something. But since then, it's just been completely disrupted. Lauren Balligan hasn't started a game since um, Peterborough. And Aaron Connolly produced... I think it's fair to say one of the most anonymous performances I've ever seen from a striker in a Middlesbrough shirt at Bournemouth away. 
Um, but we're not going to get drawn into that. But it is strange that Chris Wilder does opt for Sparrow and Watmore as his preferred partnership in the so-called bigger games. You know, you look at um, the some of the cup games this season, and especially, you know, today, it wasn't season-defining, but it was, you know, a massive, massive game for our season. And yet he opted to go with both Sparrow and Watmore instead of, you know, um, Connolly and Balligan that have played really the majority of the game since January. So a bit of a strange one there for me. Yeah, um, something that I did pick up on that could be a reason is I think everyone will probably say that Huddersfield away was one of our best performances so far under Chris Wilder, especially especially in that first half. Um, we went 2-0 up and Huddersfield were almost like mannequins. We absolutely battered them in that first half at the John Smith Stadium in November. Um, and, and the team today that started today was exactly the same barring Matt Crooks, who was, of course, enforced, um, an enforced change. Some agree dropping in there. Uh, Sparrow and Watmore started that game and caused all sorts of problems, really. What um, Watmore getting in behind and sort of just pushing Huddersfield back, whereas Sparrow was dropping in into midfield and looking to to link play a bit. So maybe Chris Wilder picked up on that and, and wanted to sort of replicate what they did away from home at home. But the, the situation with the strikers has been the same since pretty much the start of February when we got a real insight into what Connolly and Balligan were all about. Um, you could toss a coin for any of our forwards, really. Um, and it raises the question of how did our January recruitment actually strengthen us, which I suppose we'll get on to later when we discuss um, Chris Wilder a, a bit later on after, after we discuss this performance today. But on the whole, looking at the team, I was pretty confident, really, Um as, you, as I say, the, the forwards, you can pick any. It, it, I'm pretty sure that for most games, it's it's just a, th a throw of the dice in terms of guessing which which partnership we'll see. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's a team where I thought that we could cause problems. It's caused problems for Huddersfield before, of course, the season's developed. Since then, and Huddersfield have gone on an incredible run and found themselves pretty much nailed on for the playoffs now. Um, which up until this point today, I didn't really think that they were worthy of being there. Um, from our performance down there in November. I thought, well, if, if we can produce a performance like we did against them and they're meant to be our playoff contenders, then we, we've got to be nailed on. But then they'll be looking at our performance today and be thinking, they're meant to be finishing sixth and we're going to be finishing third in the playoffs. All right, well, we'll absolutely batter them in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, let's get into the performance then. Um, <laughs> ironically... I didn't feel as though we started that badly. Um, I felt we probably started the better of the two. 
had an awful, awful lot of possession, of course, possession, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if you go sideways and backwards and sideways and then back sideways again, it doesn't really mean an awful lot, to be honest. Um, and, and that was the case, really, for me early on. They had their main threat, of course, so Rat Thomas. It was really looking early stages to me and you know people might disagree that actually they come with a similar game plan to what Hull did and just thought we'll sit with two banks let them come on to us they're not going to break us down which we didn't and if we can counter attack then that's perfect for us and they pretty much were just happy to sit in early on in the game as I say a lot of sideways passing from Chris Wilder's team didn't really create anything. Um, I seem to remember one half chance, a bowler whips it into the box. In fact, sorry, it was Paddy McNair who whipped it into the box. And I think Riley McGree runs into the box, uh, anticipating heading the ball, and the ball just dips um, just before it reaches him. And then sort of, he tries to knee it in, and he just doesn't generate the power that he needs to. But apart from that, up until Huddersfield took the lead, I don't really think we offered all that much, to be honest. No, we didn't. Um, it's all well and good having possession, but if you don't do anything with it, then there's just there's just no point, really, is there? Um, it was very much sideways and backwards, as you said. Um, I felt like our plan, in terms of defensively we'd be thinking don't give away silly set pieces don't give away corners they're very good they've scored the most goals from set pieces in the division and you, all you have to do is look at the size of a lot of their players you look at Jonathan Russell Naby Sarr Tom Lees even Harry Toffolo left wing back a lot of players there even Jordan Rhodes um, all aerially very good and continuously stupid fouls in good positions for them to put balls into the box. Sober Thomas, um, he was crocked in that first half by Baller, absolutely flew into a tackle. Um, and I think they both kicked the ball at the same time and it's jarred his knee a little bit. And I thought he was going to come off. He lasted the first half and he left the pitch with an assist. Um, well, sorry, half an assist. He did put the ball in the box, but yeah, the first goal. I think just before we talk about the first goal, I'd come. Do you know what? I'd completely forgotten about it. We have to talk about that brief lapse of concentration from Saul Bamba. Of course. Uh, does his best, um, does his best <laughs> attempt at lobbing Luke Daniels. You'd have thought it was a striker going through on goal. <laughs> You're sort of just waiting for Big Sol, you know, magnificent at Bournemouth the way. Um, you're just expecting him really to head it back into Luke Daniels' arms. And for whatever reason, he almost sort of tries to lob it over him. To be honest, I've got no idea what he's trying to do. I'd like to try and analyse it. But for me, if he's not using his thigh, of course, which a pass back or heading it, just hook it out into Rose Ed because otherwise if he if you're trying to lob Luke Daniels and hope that he overhead kicks or Scorpion kicks the clearance, I think you're asking a little bit too much. 
he gets yeah. it all wrong and of course they get their indirect free kick and we actually do well to clear uh, to clear it in fairness um but back onto that opening goal nathan another ridiculous foul and just just talk us through that first goal well yeah as you mentioned there bamba complete brain fart in trying to lob his own keeper what he even thinking of um it seems like this has been a regular theme with Bamba. He'll be man of the match for two games in a row and then just drop a clanger and have an absolute brain fart. Um, one that stands out was Preston at home when he passed the ball to Emil Reese and he just put it in the top corner. Don't know what he's thinking of, but yeah, uh, off the back of man of the match, he tries to lob Daniels and then gives away a foul on the edge of our box for just just stupid, just stupid um, from Sol. Anyway, Sober Thomas over the set piece. Um, and you could see what was happening a mile off. If you watch the back post, they have Sarr and Jordan Rhodes at the back post and Sol Bamba's in between the pair of them. He's in two minds of what to do. And he drops in, plays every Huddersfield player on side. The ball clears Bamba's head. Rhodes nods it back across. Free header for Sarah at the near post. And there's nothing Luke Daniels can do about that one. It's a header from point blank range. And it puts Huddersfield 1-0 up. Um, played well into their hands, as, as we said. Um, their game plan was come here try and hit us on the counter um, and use set pieces to their advantage. They did just that, went 1-0 up, sat in and just counted, really, from then on in. Yeah, they did. And, you know, in fairness, I know we spoke a little bit um, about Matt Crooks and it was, of course, irresponsible for him to go and pick up that 15th book, and especially such a really needless foul that he picked it up from. One thing I did notice today is I felt we massively missed his height in terms of defending set pieces. Um, you know, airily going forward, he's often um, a massive threat, but I think people sometimes overlook his defensive capabilities. And of course, as you say, with the presence of Huddersfield, we really did miss that today. But in terms of that goal, it's... Uh, you know, unfortunately, you have to look at it and realise that it's a mistake from Bamba, firstly, to retreat and play everyone on side. But to get stuck in between two is, again, pretty pretty unforgivable in terms of giving uh, Huddersfield the lead. From that point onwards, really, again, didn't create an awful lot. Um, they nullified Isaiah Jones very well. I thought Harry Toffolo pretty much had him in his back pocket all afternoon. Um, there's a few crosses in the box. And what was very frustrating, and, you know, ironically, I think back to Huddersfield's um, away game, and I remember talking about it in the podcast saying, it's a new brand of football, something we're going to have to get used to and be patient that when it is on the edge of the box, we won't just swing it in needlessly. We'll, you know, play from side to side. But actually today, and even Chris Wilder said in his, his post-match press uh, conference, that we didn't take enough risks today. We went sideways, backwards. 
played short passes on the edge of the box when perhaps we could have got a shot off. Um, just just really chose the easy options and, and it played straight into the hands of Huddersfield um, in that first half and in the second half. Um, going into the second half, pretty much a continuation of the first. Um, Huddersfield happy to sit back and counter-attack, of course. The change is made uh, that sees Bamba go off and is um, replaced by Josh Corburn very early on in the second half. And from that moment, the defence didn't really, I think, know what sort of formation or what system they were meant to be playing. You had Mark Bowler dropping off, Paddy McNair stepping up. There wasn't an awful lot of positional sense. Um, and, and in fairness to Bowler, you know, it's not really his position to be playing. To me, what looked like the left-sided centre-half and what we usually play... Um, and that's where their second goal comes from. Um, the line by Mark Bowler is far too deep. He plays Jordan Rhodes on side. It's a threaded through pass after one of our attacks breaks down. And just as the script was written, as we mentioned, Jordan Rhodes, who, whilst he was at Middlesbrough, never scored a home goal at the Riverside. And also, for the majority of his time, couldn't really hit a barn door goes through and, in fairness, delivers a fatal blow, curls it round Luke Daniels into the top corner, left-footed, and as soon as that hit the back of the net, it was game over, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and following that, it could have been more. Um, the counter was just deadly, really. Um, a lot of pace in Huddersfield's attacks, and, yeah, Jordan Rhodes... Probably had the best game I've ever seen him play, and I watched him for two years. Um, just one of them things. Uh, typical that he had his best game today. Um, but yeah, credit to Huddersfield. They came here with a game plan, and they executed it completely brilliantly, really. Um, doesn't help that Borough didn't offer a lot at all. Our probably best chance of the game came with a bit of magic um McGree curling onto the crossbar and then Tavernier's follow-up blocked by Pippa um but yeah uh after eight home wins in a row if you want to include the cup game against Chelsea it's now four home defeats on the spin and no home goal scored no no goals scored in four games now. It's looking very, very bleak. And, yeah, um, looking from the outset as well with news this week of Burnley in the Premier League, of course, a relegation scrap um, in the Premier League. May I add, have sacked Sean Dyche after 10 years in charge. And it, it sort of felt the other day that Borough would be in absolutely... There's no need for Borough to be concerned with this at all. And then 50-1, to 1, Chris Wilder was slashed to favourite and was asked about it on Friday at Bournemouth if there was anything in it. Refused to give a thorough answer. 
and that's started to create a few rumours, I think it was fair to say, on social media. Um, and pl plenty of Borough fans were interested in what he was going to say today um, when he was asked about it again. And there was, a, a once again, a refusal to rule out moving to Burnley to be their manager. Um, I think you'll have the, the quotes there, Chris. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, it just appears to be very, very bleak on this front at the minute to be a Middlesbrough fan. Quite, you know, quite amazing, really, considering how promising it looked. You, I think we were speaking just before about the Peterborough win and how rosy it all looked. A 4 0 win away from home. We were all excited. And in the space of a month, um, it's all looking pretty bleak, as you say. So we'll get the quotes up from uh, Chris Wilder so we can read those in full and make a little bit more sense of the situation. And as to why, really, there's been a few Middlesbrough fans, I say a few, quite a few, um, quite a number of Middlesbrough fans, pretty disappointed at the way that he's reacted to some of these statements. So, um, firstly, um, we should say in the post-match press conference that Chris Wilder was asked about the Burnley links on two separate occasions. So after the first question, uh, he responded, listen, I'm an emotional guy. We've just got beat from a footballing point of view. I've just got beat as manager of Middlesbrough, so I can't stop any of that stuff, um, of course. Uh, referencing Burnley speculation, but I'm not so sure it's the right time to ask anything like that after a really disappointing de defeat from our point of view. So looking at that on its own, firstly, Nathan, just as um, the darkness descends into this room, you can just about make out my face pretty uh, fitting, really, considering some of the topics that we're discussing right now. Um, the first set of quotes, Nathan, not as concerning as the, the second, what we'll get into, but still disappointing that he failed to categorically say that he was not interested in the Burnley job. Yeah, just sort of a case of, yeah, we've been beat. I can see why he probably doesn't want to answer those questions now. Um, coming off the back of a, a poor result at home, in a game that was so big for us today, it felt crucial to get three points and we failed to get one. Um, so you, you, it's, it's not as damning as the, the second quote, which is coming up. Yeah, so on that second quote, of course, he was asked about it first, um, refused to sort of really give a, a concrete answer. And then when asked again, um, slightly more, concerning for Middlesbrough fans uh, Wilder answered I just don't think there's a way out of talking about it I think it's really unfair on anybody I'm manager of Middlesbrough nobody knows what's around the corner for anything do they I don't know what you want me to say or what you want me to do that to me really especially after such a bad defeat I can't lie, disappointed me. Um, 
Chris Wilder has been a man that has come into this club and we've got to give him immense amounts of credit. Nyon transformed this football, football club's fortunes this season. He's always been a man of principle throughout his time at Sheffield United. You know, we've seen enough press conferences and, and the way he speaks now to know what type of man Chris Wilder is. To then be linked with the Burnley job, and, you know, it's two separate occasions, but it's really three separate occasions now because he's been asked about it once after Bournemouth and then twice after a day's game. To fail to categorically say, I am not interested in the job. I am a Middlesbrough manager that wants to remain here. We've got a massive four games of the season remaining. To me, is not only concerning, but a little bit disrespectful to be honest. Um, and I, I've got to say that, you know, I, there's plenty of people that are absolutely huge fans of Chris Wilder and, and rightfully so. But the fact that he has failed to acknowledge um, and give a definitive answer that he's not interested in the job feels to me a little bit like he doesn't want to say anything because actually in the back of his mind, he's quite open to either hearing if they do make an offer or just waiting to see if they, they are going to make an approach for him. What's your view on it, Nathan? I think, first of all, it's an incredibly strange situation how this has all come about, really. Um, there was absolutely no sort, no sort of indication that this was going to happen a week ago. Um, but a sacking in the Premier League is something that will turn managers' eyes. That's fair enough. But if you look at the current situation at Burnley Football Club, it's looking bleak there, really. Um, with seven or eight games to go, they're firmly in a relegation scrap, firmly in the bottom three, and look nigh on favourites to be relegated and end up in the Championship. It's going to be a big rebuild there in the summer. Um, they're going to lose a lot of players um, now if that's if they do go down which I think most people will be banking on that happening so I think that needs to be taken into consideration that they're probably going to be relegated from the Premier League and be in the Championship next season which at this moment in time it looks like Middlesbrough are going to be in the Championship next season as well um, the main frustration for me is the nobody knows what's around the corner for anything do they well if you want to answer that no they don't but you've signed a contract at this football club about five months ago and have said that you're going to be here for a long term project if that's not going to be the case five months into a job after all this progress has been made, then I suppose that's just that's just unfortunate um, for us, really. Um, we've seen drastic improvements whilst Chris Wilder's been at this football club in five months. Um, and really... 
you can think about January. Um, he, he got players in that he was said to to really want. You know, Aaron, Aaron Connolly, Flo Balligan, Riley McGree, all players that Chris Wilder wanted at his football club. And the forwards, I think it's fair to say, haven't really worked out, haven't really hit the hit the front like we wanted them to. Um, but then you could look at whether Kieran Scott's been, been signing those strikers or whether it's been Chris Wilder. If you look at the strikers Chris Wilder signed at his time at Sheffield United, they've all been incredibly poor strikers as well in, in a Chris Wilder side. You look at Ollie McBurney, Rian Brewster, Lise Moussa, all those forwards at Sheffield United that he signed all didn't work for him. Um, he fell on an absolute gem in Billy Sharp in League One, going to his hometown club. And he's arguably one of the best forwards in championship history. And he's, he's fell on him. But in terms of recruitment of centre forwards, Chris Wilder's record is not the greatest in signing centre forwards. So I think that needs that needs looking at. And if those forwards were his forwards, then only he can take that on the chin because he he brought them to this football club. If he wanted them, they were here to be utilised by him. And I think it's fair to say that he has utilised them as a partnership more often than not. And it's been clear to see that they haven't really worked apart from one game against a side that... Uh, six points adrift, seven, po seven points adrift at the bottom of the championship. They worked in one game. Um, but in terms of the link, I wasn't sure at the time whether it was just because Chris Wilder's a manager that would be thrown into that typical Brexit category because he's a, a British manager with grey hair and he doesn't manage the sort of fashionable sides around the country, Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, Northampton, all gritty sort of teams and, and, and towns around the country. Um, I thought his, his name had just been sort of thrown out there for that sort of link. Um, but when seeing his name linked to Burnley, I felt it doesn't really make sense because Burnley's style of play does not suit Chris Wilder's style of play that he'd like to instill in a football club. But it appears that the link, there is some truth in it. It must be. Um, as we've been doing this podcast, his odds have been slashed further. Um, he's now evens to take the Burnley job. And the, ref the refusal today to answer, qu answer questions on his future have just, have just helped that. So who knows what's going to happen in the next week? Yeah, I think obviously, you know, if, if you're aware how um, the, the betting uh, markets work, or you may not be, of course, because of his comments, actually, there's probably been a lot, a lot more money uh, lumped on. But of course, we've seen since them comments, of course, there's been an awful lot of rubbish spouted, we should say that on social media, an awful lot of, of nonsense. But of course, rumours are building. Um, 
personally, if I was to just take myself out of it and look at it from a, a complete sensible head point of view and not my sort of pessimistic, worried point of view, you've got to look at the fact that Burnley, should they decide to approach Middlesbrough, are going to have to deal with Steve Gibson and he probably, after the Ben Gibson deal, not going to be the easiest to deal with. You'll want a hell of a lot of compensation for Sean Dyche. Burnley, as a club, financially aren't really in a position to go and spend sort of two, three, four million on a manager to get him out of his contract. There is, of course, the concern with the quotes that, you know, some people have said he's almost in a roundabout way it almost seemed to Burnley well if you want me then make an approach and we'll see what happens because as you say he's refused to say well no I'm a Middlesbrough I'm a Middlesbrough manager I'm not going anywhere um, you can also look at the comments as though he is looking ahead to next season and thinking well I want to keep Steve Gibson on his toes I want to make sure that I'm well backed in the summer and of course that's plausible but I think out of a, a purely a, a respect point, um, considering, you know, of course, Chris Wilder's done amazingly with us, but also we gave him a very good opportunity and a, a well-established club to come in, replace Neil Warnock. So I'd like to think if, if an approach was made, then there would be some sort of, you know, loyalty um, that he would consider from that point of view. But... You know, right now it is slightly concerning. And, and, you know, we spoke last week about a goalkeeper and a striker situation being the last thing that you need um, with a handful of games left of your championship season. But all sorts of rumours flying about as to whether your manager might be off to Burnley is even more concerning. So it really isn't a good situation at all, Nathan, is it? No, it's not enjoyable either. Um, Who knows? where the twists and turns may be this week. Um, as you said there, you gave quite a few reasons as to as to what could be going on. I myself am ho- I'm holding out a little bit of hope that Chris Wilder's putting a bit of pressure on Steve Gibson to, to give that budget in the summer a, a bit of a look at, um, especially with his comments today. Um, post-match um, suggesting that a few of the players out on the pitch today aren't quite good enough to be playing uh, for Middlesbrough at this time a side that is pushing to get promoted into the Premier League um, I think it's been pretty clear to see over the last Three home games, definitely. If you want to class the Bournemouth game as well, then fine. Four games that Middlesbrough aren't quite good enough this time around to to go up or or even be in the in the top six at this moment in time. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a big summer, I think. Um, not only does this squad need massively strengthening in certain positions but who knows might need a new manager as well yeah it is really a case of what you said at the start of the podcast if you don't laugh 
you will cry. Um, yeah, it's not a good situation to be in. Just for those that may be watching, <coughs> I have spun the, the light round because the, the darkness from the outside <laughs> window has, has come down on the, on the recording studio, a.k.a. a bedroom in my house. Um, and, yeah, I may look a little bit like I'm telling a horror story if you're watching this on YouTube with the darkness and a light on my face. Don't have to worry about that if you're listening on audio platforms. <laughs> yes, don't worry, I'm not telling a horror story despite our horror performance today. Um, just to finish up, really, a, a little bit of context in terms of our league position. A few positives from today. Blackburn lost, Coventry lost, Sheffield United dropped points. And actually, if you look at the league table, quite ridiculously, because of our game in hand, Currently, sixth position and getting into the playoffs is still in the hands of Middlesbrough. Whether that's a good thing or not is a complicated <laughs> story, but I guess we've got to try and find some sort of silver lining, Nathan. Yeah, I suppose you do. Um, it was quite nice this afternoon seeing all the sides around Middlesbrough drop points, but it doesn't matter if you don't pick up points yourselves, does it? Um and over the last few weeks, we certainly haven't been doing that. Um, I think it'd just be a bit of a blessing in disguise if if one of the sides just took initiative and just finished sixth and just just sort of box that top six off now at, the, at this stage of the season. Um, the fact that Middlesbrough is still in this position where should we win our game in hand, we're level with with Sheffield United in sixth place and we're back in in the running for for the top six is is unfathomable, especially after four, uh, sorry, three home defeats on the spin. Um, but it, it's certainly not going to be an easy run from now until the end of the season. Um, next up, Swansea away next week. Difficult place to go. A place where we don't get anything, same as Bournemouth. Um, they play some outstanding stuff. Uh, they know where the goal is as well. Uh, something that Middlesbrough apparently don't in the last few games. We've we've completely forgot where it is since Peterborough. 16, 16 days and four games without a goal. Um yeah, it's it's not it's not great, but Swansea the other week in the South Wales Derby where Cardiff put in an absolutely outstanding show, 1-4-0. And today it looked like they were going to do exactly the same at Reading. Um went 1-0 down early on, bounced back straight away, 2-1 up after 15 minutes, ran into a 4-1 lead and completely capitulated and, and drew 4-4 in the 95th minute, meaning that Derby County were relegated. Wink, wink. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a difficult game. They play some good stuff. They like to keep the ball. They'll just try and tie you out. If you want to press them, then it's going to be a long afternoon. It's a long trip again. But 
who knows what this week's going to bring. We could be heading to Swansea without a new manager. Uh, sorry, without a manager. We could be going there with Chris Wilder. With Big Sol as manager, interim. Big Sol. Could be Big Sol as manager. Could be Rory. Could be Aaron Connolly. Who knows what could happen yeah. this week. It's uh, it's an absolute roller coaster supporting this football club. It That's just... The easy way, easiest way I think we can say it. Who'd have thought that 16 days ago, first game back after the Easter break, or take 4,000 fans away to Peterborough, win 4 0 away from home? Me and you were on here, like waxing lyrical about how good we were going forward, how we were creating chances. It could have been six and seven. And we haven't scored a goal since. We've been beat three times at home. We got a point at Bournemouth to give us some hope. We play at home today on Sky, get beat. Our manager's on the verge. And <laughs> I think I think that my mental state's on the verge as well. Uh, who knows what's going to happen in the next week, in the next month, or in the next six months to a year. It's a crazy, crazy football club where anything... Anything can go. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better, Nathan. I think just then you said just before the Easter break that we come back. I'm pretty sure you meant international break. That just goes international, to, yeah. <laughs> that just goes to show that both of our heads have firmly fell off. To be honest, <laughs> I think it's probably best we leave it there, um, Nathan. I don't. I, I'll ask. Just to, to clarify, I don't think we have missed anything out. There's been an awful lot to dissect, especially so quickly after um, the events of this afternoon. Of course, as we say, we usually give it a day, but we're straight on tonight recording. And I say tonight, it's a good job we're not carrying on recording because I think <laughs> give it an extra 10 minutes and you just won't be able to see me at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's been another... Um, entertaining and quite remarkable episode of the Brocklist podcast. Uh, if you have listened and enjoyed, please give us a rating on your audio platform. Uh, if you've watched on YouTube and got to this point and can see that I have nearly disappeared into the, the night, then credit to you because it's probably a hard watch. But for me and Nathan after a quite dramatic 24 hours as a Middlesbrough fan, or Middlesbrough fans, I should say. That's been another episode of the Brockless podcast. And hopefully, with Chris Wilder still in charge and after three points away at Swansea, we'll see you again next week. <laughs>